I really hate to say it, wanted money, my mom's worth a half a million that I get when she dies. My mom is dementia and doesn't half the time know who we are. Right. Has been living alone in a condo. And I know that sounds really morbid and stuff like that, but I am a life insurance person. But if I really wanted money, there was an easier way than trying to combat somebody that's physically stronger than me. And the doctor said, yeah, she's got a little bit of problems, whatever. She's 77, whatever. Does she have dementia? No. Do we say that in our family? Heck yeah. Because to us it was like, oh, there goes grandma again. She's got Alzheimer, Alzheimer. We do all the jokes. And when people ask, yeah, to me she had dementia. Right. By a neurologist, she did not. That's why she was placed in that home. And that's why it was no threat to be on the third floor. Right. But to everybody else on this planet, I took a 210-pound woman and threw her through railings. How do you do that? How does a man do that? Mm-hmm. Well, to everyone, well, yeah, I know how stories get out of hand. For whatever reason, they, they like to make, make stories up. Hello and welcome to Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. Five locations, stlmasses.com is their website. You can go there, check out those menus. If you're in St. Louis, you're driving through, you're going to a ball game, you have a weekend plan, you're going to see the Cardinals take on the whoever's, and you want some good pasta, you want some good pizza, you want some of that St. Louis toasted ravioli, you go to Masses Restaurants and you can check those out stlmasses.com you can get directions and menus and take a look at what you're gonna eat before you go there i'm your youtube friend brad and yes there is a masses up there near troy missouri near o'fallon missouri why why we're doing this podcast today again we're talking about the thing about pam i can't get enough of it can you have you been watching the series on nbc it's over uh pretty much now but um a six-part series renee zellweger playing pam hupp and I've already done one podcast with the lawyer of Russ Faria, the man who was suspected of killing his wife. Of course, he did not, and he was exonerated. So I talked to his lawyer uh, a few weeks back, and now you're going to see Russ Faria along with Joel, and we have more questions to ask about this. So if you haven't seen this uh, first episode I did with just Joel, we covered the, the bare bones, the bare basics, put some Pam Hupp clips in that one too, so you can laugh and have a good time looking at this, this woman who uh, clearly... Um, can you say has a screw loose? I, th I think you can say that. I just said it. But uh, now we're going to have a chance to talk to Russ Freya, see how he's doing, get his thoughts about just the way this thing has all played out, and uh, he will be with Joel. We're going to have that interview here in a second. But first, have you seen the people who've been on the show? Well, let's take a look at some of my favorite, favorite memories and uh, people who come on the show to promote books and things like that here on Here's the Pitch. It's Mick Foley. Oh my goodness. You're going to be in St. Louis at the Helium Comedy Club on September 7th, September 8th. Charlie Barons, there he is over there. Again, if you watch here in St. Louis, he's coming here to Helium. Um, you're going all across the Midwest. We do have on the phone Tom Green. And we, was this there is enough? great. We you had did a great job. Great interview. Absolutely. Come see my shows this weekend starting tonight at Helium uh, here in St. Louis. That is Greg Fitzsimmons. Well, and then I was in St. Louis, I did the Helium Club. March 4th and March 5th, it's Mike Malloy. There's Mike Malloy. Hello, Mike Malloy. You're going to be in St. Louis and having some helium. I am. I'm very excited about it. Jim Florentine is my guest. Well, you're here in St. Louis, you're doing some more stand-up. You can take a look at jimflorentine.com for all of Jim's uh, exciting news, but you're releasing a YouTube special on uh, on Monday the 13th. Obviously, you want a Netflix deal, but you can't get that, which is 
limited. You put it on Netflix and people watch for free and you'll see a lot more people will see it. This is sort of what you guys all do, right? It's like, hey, I'm going to do some stand-up, I'm going to do some videos, I'm going to do a podcast. The days are gone when you can just be a stand-up comedian. One of my regrets is I didn't stick around TNA longer. Uh, Hulk and I had a, a dramatic face-off in the ring and I was thinking, oh, we could have a match. Mike Malloy, MikeMalloy.com. You can obviously find him on Twitter. He's going to be at Helium in St. Louis on March 4th and March 5th. Who else might you have lied to? Anybody time? that would bug me and bug me and bug me and bug me. Did the detectives bug you and bug you? Yeah. So you might have lied to them? No. What year did you graduate from Naples College? Hmm. Um, probably 87 or 90. I'm not sure. You're not, you're not sure? What year I graduated college? Yes. Yes, I'm not sure. Well, that's just some of the odd behavior of Pam Hupp, and now I bring in Joel Schwartz once again, and then luckily today we have Russ Faria. Russ, Joel, thank you guys for joining me today. Russ, good to meet you, good to see you. How are things where you are today, Russ? Uh, Things are really good. I'm uh, living my best life and getting, you know, doing normal things, but also... uh, getting out there and raising awareness. Uh, it's very important to me to raise awareness for wrongful convictions and for things like prosecutorial immunity, um, because, uh, there's organizations out there like the innocence project, uh, that I've been working with and have done some fundraisers for, and there's just not enough awareness for those type of organizations and for those type of things. And people like me and, uh, Ryan Ferguson, Rodney Lincoln are all, uh, banding together to try and change the world a little bit. And with help from Joel, you're doing that. And I want to just talk to Joel for a second because we we did this last time, and hopefully I've, you've you've seen some some book sales because uh, my channel has seen a lot of activity on this subject. People cannot get enough. And Joel, you wrote a book, and that's sort of how we started connecting. Uh, tell us again how that's doing. Bone deep, untangling the murders of uh, the Betsy Freya murder case. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm almost through it. I'll just let people know it's so detailed. It's like a diary almost. So if you've seen the Dateline, you're watching the show, there's even more to know. And I, I really appreciate how we kind of get some backstory about you, a little bit about uh, Russ. Just tell us a little bit about, and again, you can get this wherever, Amazon books, on your Kindle, on your iPhone, like how I'm reading it. There's an audio book too. So thanks again for joining us. How, how are things with the book? And uh, just tell us how things are going with you. Oh, thanks a lot, Brad. The, the book sales have been well beyond anything that we could have imagined. Uh, and I also want to make sure we get this in that I co-wrote the book with Charles Bosworth. Uh, and Charles probably carried the laboring or on the actual writing of the book, uh, but we did work together. With that said, it's been wonderful. Uh, Amazon has been great. Our publisher has been great. And what's happened is with the word of mouth by people like you and your podcast is Once people think that they know the story, either through the the Dateline podcast or individual podcast or the TV series, it's uh, piqued their interest to read the book. Once they read the book, the reviews have been wonderful. They talk about it with other people and word of mouth continues to generate book sales. And then every time the series airs on Tuesday night, by Wednesday and Thursday, book sales are through the roof once again. (laughs) Russ, are you watching this thing? Are you, can you watch it? How does it work at your home on, uh, Nine o'clock Tuesday nights, NBC. I have been watching it, and um, 
actually I missed last week because I was on vacation in sunny Florida and <laughs> but uh, we'll be watching the actual final two episodes tonight uh, when it airs uh, so we'll start a little bit early and uh, I've been doing except for the last couple weeks I've been doing some uh, live Instagram uh, directly following the episodes uh, just to answer folks questions uh, that they may have about the episode or about the ordeal in general and I think it's been uh, really good they put it together really well and they tried to s- squeeze 10 years into six hours so uh, you know there's a lot of things in the story that you won't see on in the movie well and that's what i was saying as i was watching this with my wife uh last week i'm like how is this the last episode coming up there seems like there's so much more there's been some criticism about the comedic feel the dark comedy feel of it um you being so close to it how does it make you feel that there is that tinge of dark comedy? Pam is sort of this, you know, uh, almost comedic character. I mean, she's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a, like a Fargo, like I kind of compare it to, where the the bumbling criminal just continues to bumble. Well, um, you know, and actors and, and movies do embellish things a bit, but um, one of the biggest questions that I've had from folks is did these people really act that way? <laughs> and uh, my answer is yes. The the people that are being portrayed as ridiculous in the show behaved ridiculously, and and in fact are still behaving ridiculously. Uh, Leah, whatever she wants to call herself these days, it started out as Walmack, went to ASCII, and now she's Cheney because she married her uh, high school teacher. Um, she still says she's never been brought any information to make her believe that I didn't do it. Um, Officer McCarrick is teaching at the Missouri Police Academy and uses my case as one of his subjects. And if you disagree with him, he kicks you out of his class. So, you know, those people behave ridiculously and they're being portrayed that way and they don't like it, but sometimes the truth hurts. Joel, I mean, you know, this was kind of later that I was going to ask about this, but can they, can they be tried? Can they, can there be any sort of punishment for the things that Russ has gone, has had to go through and, and, and just in general, when, when there's a wrongful death case and someone is, you know, fully exonerated, can, can is it possible to go back? Cause as you watch the show, you just see all the mistakes that were made by pretty much everybody. And almost as if they, and we talked about this the first time, they wanted to just get this done, move on, get the election, can, can you try a Leah Askey and the detective and the judge, or how does that work? The short answer is yes, with many, many hurdles and obstacles. You have the hurdle of immunity, which is what Russ has alluded to, prosecutorial immunity. You have statutory problems because of the length of the time that has occurred. And then you have proof problems. Um, for example, we don't know what Ryan McCarrick or Leah Askey actually knew at the time. We know what was presented. We don't know if the mistakes were made. We don't know if they were intentional. So you have all those hurdles. What there was was a remedy civilly where Russ sued Lincoln County as well as the police and the prosecutor. And there was a substantial settlement for a couple of million dollars. And that is one way they can be punished, although they don't personally feel the sting of that. Um, as Russ stated, McCarrick is teaching. He's still on the force in Florissant. Um, although, given the publicity that this has now received, 
I can't imagine that they're getting much respect within the community or with their, at least their professional peers. I got, and my other question to piggyback on that is, again, this is pure speculation. How often does this happen where you see um, a whole team of a DA and a, 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 not a judge, because that just seems so far-fetched that the judge and the DA are best friends from high school, not best friends, but, but just the fact that this, this seemingly shouldn't happen this way, but hey, we've got a suspect and he's not really, he's not going to, you know, admit to it and he's not going to confess, but all the evidence that we don't even really have, but we, we just want to fi- fix, finish this up. It's a, it's an easy case because it looks like the husband did it. How often does that happen? Do you think is, is there a percentage? Is it happened more than I, than I hope it doesn't happen? I guess is my question. The, the answer is it happens way too often to actually put a percentage or a number on it is possible, but the wrongful convictions that we learn of the prosecutorial misconduct, the police misconduct that we learn of sometimes a decade, two decades, even three decades after the fact um, are too numerous to count. What we don't know is the numbers that we don't learn about. And it's got to be astronomical because there is very little oversight when you're the head prosecutor. In this case, there was no oversight on the asking. Uh, with the exception of me attempting to do my job, but then I was thwarted, thwarted at every turn by the judge who's supposed to oversee at least the trial aspect of the case. Fortunately, in this case, there was a record made and we did things appropriately and the Court of Appeals sent this back to the trial court so fast, at least in legal terms, it'll make your head spin. Um, that is a long-winded answer to a short question is the numbers are impossible and we don't know. And I, my heart goes out to these people who have been wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted, especially if it's due to some sort of prosecutorial misconduct. Um, and Russ, along with Ryan Ferguson and Rodney Lincoln, people he's talked about, have been on a crusade to do everything they can, I along with them, to keep this from happening. I agree. I agree with Joel that um, uh, I feel that there's really no way to put a number on it. Um, you hear about Russ Faria, you hear about Ryan Ferguson, Rodney Lincoln, Adam Brazil, the list goes on and on. But for every one of us that you hear about in the news, uh, there's probably 10 guys that, or women, uh, that were wrongfully convicted. Tell me, Russ, because I, I, I got to be quite honest, I don't think I've ever had um, the chance to ask someone who's been convicted or wrongfully convicted, sitting in prison, waiting, or jail, waiting for your trial. What was that? time period like it's basically two years of your life where you're sitting there and and we know how the system works it takes forever for trials to happen just give me your thoughts as you know we've seen on the show where they come busting in the house you go to and now you're there and what, what what were those years like for you what was it was it okay was it terrible tell me just the, the couple years there while you're waiting for trial well we waited for the first trial and so i spent all of my time in the county jail until after the trial and i was convicted and went to prison and jail and prison are two different animals, but, um, they're, you know, you do what you have to, to survive and make it through. And, uh, some people are stronger than others. Um, and another friend of mine recently said, you know, you'll get a lot further by being a nice guy than being a tough guy when you're in one of these situations. Uh, and it's true. Um, I'm a likable guy. I tend to get along with, all kinds of different people from all kinds of different diversities and lifestyles. So, 
for me, um, my survival instinct, I guess, kicked in. And I tried to get along with everybody that I could, even the biggest, meanest, toughest guy in there. Uh, he's still a man. And if you talk to him like a man and treat him with respect, usually you'll get that in return. So I did what I needed to to stay under the radar. You know, Joel told me keep my nose clean and stay out of trouble. But um, I did, it was just a matter of being patient. And uh, when you're in a situation like that, if you've ever had trouble with patience, you'll learn it very fast. Mm. I, I would guess. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate. Can you think about how your life was, you know, the, the days before December 27th, 2011? I mean, how do you how do you combat just thinking about how it, just in one moment, not only, I mean, do you lose your wife um, to a brutal murder, but then your life changes. You know, some people just have to deal with the grieving. You don't even get to grieve. Do you think about just how your life was and what, how was it going? I mean, what it, was, were things just hunky? I mean, I know, you know, Betsy obviously had cancer and it wasn't great, but just tell me a little bit about, you know, um, how things were going and what it's like for your life just in one day to change. Well, you know, uh, we had our problems in the past and then you see that in the book and, and in other stories in the media. But um, for the previous couple of years, we had been doing really well and uh, we we're facing the fact that Betsy had terminal cancer and wasn't going to be with us very much longer. And uh, she was doing what she needed to to uh, prepare yourself for that because yeah, they gave us three to five years, but you don't know there could be less than that. It could be more, you know, I know people that have been given three to five years and they're still walking 10 years later, you know, and I talk to them every day. Um, I was living my life, a nine to five it geek, I guess you could call me, uh, worked from home at a desk and, you know, went and played role playing games with my friends or watch movies. And, uh, just a normal life like anybody else. And that's one of the things I talk about uh, when we talk about wrongful convictions is it could happen to anybody. It could happen to you, uh, somebody you know, and your life is flipped and turned upside down in a matter of a blink of an eye. And, yeah, you don't have time to grieve or anything else. You have to uh, deal with what you have to deal with. And sometimes it's hard to do. Um and the strong ones make it through. I'm fortunate enough that I had a really good support system. With, uh, my cousin Mary was fighting for me on the outside. and She told me uh, early on in this that to take care of myself on the inside and take care of what I needed to take care of. And she would take care of everything on the outside. Uh, she's five months younger than me. And we grew up like twins. And uh, she has my utmost trust. And so I, I, I put that in her hands. And she hired Joel. And um, if it wasn't for them and many others in my family and friends that, that were out there fighting for me. And I uh, also like to credit Chris Hayes and the people at Dateline. Uh, those two media outlets were uh, very important. Chris Hayes uh, in the local news here in St. Louis was reporting on my story at least once a month. Uh, so keeping it out there in people's minds, I think, helped me. Uh, get my appeal as fast as I did. The average time for an appeal in the state of Missouri is 10 to 14 years. Uh, Ryan Ferguson was inside for 10 years for something he did. Yeah. Tell me, so the interrogation process, I'm going to ask both of you that. Uh, Joel, we've all seen the video. We've seen how long it, it, it went for him, for Russ. How do you think Russ did? Russ, how do you felt? How do you think it went? And tell us just, because this is always, 
any part of any the, the making a murder, uh, the Ryan Ferguson dream killer on Netflix, this case, this is where you see um, the people that have been wrongly accused basically telling it, I didn't do it. Did, what what are you supposed to do, Joel? I mean, is, and I know we've talked before. Is it? Just, don't I'm not saying anything. What what are you, what are you supposed to do? And Russ, once once Joel answers, I'd like to just get your thoughts on what you thought, how it went, and what you think you should have done. For Russ's credit, he spent 36 hours in their custody answering every single question they had, and then they came in with another crew of police officers and asked the same questions again, and then they gave him a BS polygraph that was not video recorded. They said it wasn't functioning, and they told him that he failed 100%. It showed 100% deception, which isn't a possibility. Um, and then they spent over an hour, approximately an hour and a half, in an attempt to get him to confess to something he didn't do. Thank goodness for Russ's intestinal fortitude, where he continued to say, look, you can think what you want, but I didn't do this. I actually counted. It's in the book. He said it 77 times while they continued to talk to him. It wasn't until almost an hour and a half later when he finally said, okay, then I want an attorney. And that wasn't even the end. After I was representing him, one of the officers, Ryan McCarrick, pulled him out of his cell said that I didn't ask any guilt-seeking questions, but that's simply not true. He attempted another time to get Russ to confess to this heinous crime, which he obviously did not do. Um, the answer to your question is you ask for a lawyer. It's what you do. Russ, your thoughts of just how that those days went, and if you could go back in time, maybe just if you knew. You don't know, right? I mean, this is, you're just there, and you have to do what they say. No, you don't know. And and you're taught from the time you're a child that, you know, police are there to help. You know, and the other thing that you're taught from the time you're a child is tell the truth. And so I was doing everything my mother taught me, my father taught me growing up, telling the truth and telling it again and again several times, as Joel said, I said 77 times that I didn't do it. Um, I didn't know that count until then, but um I think if I had to do it over again, and uh, I certainly wouldn't want that, but if I had to do it over again, as soon as they took me to the police station, uh, I would have shut up and asked for a lawyer at that point. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, what happens too many times in this country and probably across the world is police officers uh, don't try to solve a crime, and they don't know how to solve a crime. What they try to do is they find somebody that they think might have done the crime or that they could put it on and they try to get a confession. When did you learn? That's what, yeah. That's what Ryan McCarrick did to me. He tried to bully me, called me out of my cell, not once, but twice. Uh, the second time was because I wrote a nasty letter about it. Uh, he didn't like me calling him a monkey. Uh, but he also, and he wrote a report that he didn't file because it never happened, but he sent another inmate in there to rough me up and get a confession out of him. And the other inmate actually decided he wasn't going to do that. And we acted like we fought. And then they came and pulled him out of there. So it didn't work out uh, for Ryan in that, in that particular case. When did you learn of uh, Pam Hupp? When did you kind of know that this was a person that'd be in your life? I mean, it didn't seem like when, when you see the show or you read the book, or you're any, like you really didn't, she's sort of a fringe person, right? Like, did you know much about her? And how long had she been kind of around Betsy and, and you guys? Well, they had been coworkers and friends at work. And so I never really, uh, 
had too much contact with her. I'd met her a handful of times at some work functions, uh, you know, when they have uh, awards or parties that were in the insurance industry. Um, and beyond that, I mean, if I went there to meet Betsy for lunch or something, we'd have a little high and by type thing, but I didn't know the woman that well. And, uh, so when the police asked me about her, I, there wasn't a whole lot of information I could give them. But soon after I was arrested and my family and friends and more importantly, Joel was bringing me information from their investigation uh, that really pointed toward her and uh, kind of changed my opinion a little bit. I replaced what a husband would be. It's honestly a relationship with two women who really aren't attracted to women. I don't know how to explain that. It's not... I'm attracted to men. Love everything about them. Can't wait till Magic Mike XL comes out. But she's the same way. What? I'm just curious, Joel or Russ, if you can tell me about, because I still don't understand how she got Betsy to sign that form. And I'm starting to wonder if it's ever been, is it, are, is there a part of this thing about Pam where they're trying to put out there, the show on NBC, that maybe it was forged? I mean, it seems like they did go to the library together do we know what exactly happened that day to get Betsy to, to agree to this? Do we, do we know the full story on this yet, or am I missing something? You're not missing anything. There's several different theories. One is it was forged, but we did have a handwriting analysis taken, and they, didn't, they couldn't say it was forged. Pam had been fired from two previous insurance agencies where forgeries were involved. Uh, so that's something that we take into consideration. Additionally, Pam had told one, Betsy, I'm sorry, had told one of her best friends, a woman named Linda Hartman, that she was supposed to meet Pam that Friday. Pam was pressuring her to do something that she was uncomfortable doing. She may have been referring to this. I also know, and it's, it's alluded to in the book, that Pam had been collecting money on this fake mission to raise money for another friend who was dying of cancer. And given Pam's trickery and what we I have learned to be Betsy's a little, what people have called her very gullible and trusting. Um, I think Pam somehow tricked her into either signing it as some sort of security or simply that she was going to hold on to it and not do anything with it. I believe that the reason is she clearly intended to kill her that Tuesday. And I believe the reason she had to do it is because notification from the insurance company would go out and Russ, who was the beneficiary, and Betsy, who was the insured, would receive some sort of notice. So it was signed on Friday. She killed her on Tuesday. It wasn't imaged in the system at the insurance company until Wednesday. And what we're dealing with is we had a weekend plus Christmas holiday. So I think Beth's Pam was trusting that no notice would be sent out because once it was received, I think it would have quickly been revoked. With all that said, we don't. We still don't have any definitive proof of anything to this day. I think it is safe to say that Betsy being in the insurance industry all of her previous policies had her primary insured, had uh, contingent beneficiaries as her sister, things of that nature, or her mother. In this case, it was Pam Hub and Pam Hub alone, and none of that makes any sense. Yeah, and so with all of your research from doing this case, because when I watched all the datelines, and, and re- it just seemed like this came out of the blue, that Betsy had, or, I'm sorry, Pam had this crazy idea, but now it turns out she's been sort of leading up to that, like little crime, little crime, big crime, because you see the money laundering thing in this uh, episode five. What is that? 
And is it as you look back, Joel, at kind of your research on her, was this something she was always... I mean, the show takes you back to 1989, shows him going to Florida. So there's, there's obviously these hints of, hey, this is not something she just did on a December night. This is something she had been, in her mind, been thinking about not killing someone to make money, but she's always trying to make money. What was the money laundering thing, and how far back did you think you saw her having this pattern? Uh, the, the NBC attorneys are very cautious. They do not want to take on a lawsuit. There was another woman and alluded to it when the younger Pam was at the pool and she had befriended an older woman. Um, there is a f- close friend of Pam's who drowned in her bathtub. There was an allegation, and I have to stress allegation, that Pam received a significant benefit from that. Um, there were then things done for that woman's child by Pam to help that child out. So there was a suspicious dead person who was friends with Pam, who it was ruled accidental, just like her mother's was, where Pam did benefit. However, to link her specifically to that, it's even much, much harder than it would have been to her mother's. Uh, Maybe she got more brazen. Maybe she got more careless to think she could get away with these things. But that's what it's alluding to um, without going so far. I'm sure they filmed much more. Uh, The drowning and how the money is all wet. Uh, But I think their lawyers probably made them cut a significant portion out of that to avoid any lawsuit, which I also have to be careful because I don't want to falsely, even though I strongly believe, I, I know Pam had something to do with Betsy. We know Lewis Gumpenberger, and there is a significant chance that she had something to do with her mother's death. To jump to conclusions where I don't have absolute proof would be kind of doing what they did with Russ, and that's a little bit uh, beyond the scope of what I can get into. Yeah, Russ, have you had any conversations with Pam at all in the last ever? I mean, I, I don't. I, and what would you say if you could? If there's, if there's, if you had a chance to be in a room with her by herself or together? Well, I don't think they want the two of us in a room together. <laughs> but uh, if I were to have the chance to say something to her, and I've been asked this a number of times recently, um, I have a one-word question, and it's why. You know, why me? Why my family? You know, why did she target me twice? Um, I don't think we'll ever have that answer, and and what you were asking about before with the insurance question and that there's only two people that have the answer to that question. That's Pam and Betsy. One of them isn't around anymore. And uh, Pam, you can't believe anything that comes out of her mouth. Um, So I just would want to know why, uh, why she did all the things that she did. Yeah. How's your relationship with uh, the the daughters and uh, Betsy's family? How are things these days? Uh, that would be non-existent. Um, those people testified against me twice on the stand. They also stole $10,000 out of my bank account within an hour of me being arrested. That was because uh, Officer Ryan McCarrick, remember him, uh, he called them and let them know that I was in custody and they could go take my money. Um, and then he also let Pam know so that she could go get the insurance money, told the insurance company. So uh, that said, uh, there's been apologies, and I'm not saying I don't forgive people, but that doesn't mean I want to be their friend and uh, hang out with them anymore. Yeah, I mean, as I watch the show, there's a sense of they're starting to sort of understand that you had nothing to do with this. Um, So I I, I was just curious. It felt like there might have been some reconciliation. I guess not. 
Brad, let me well, the only apology that I was ever offered was about two weeks after I became a millionaire. So that kind of tells me the sincerity of it. Joel, you had something there? Yeah, the show has portrayed one of his stepdaughters to be sympathetic to his plight. And that's sort of a made-for-TV moment. After he was convicted, Russ had indicated to me once we got him out that they had written him letters and he wanted to meet with them. I, because they were witnesses, was forced to file a motion with the court uh, to make to have some sort of supervised contact so there was no allegations of any improprieties. Leah Askey objected to that, and the judge, not knowing anything about the case, all he had in his mind is this man has been convicted of brutally stabbing this woman. He got out and now wants to meet with these girls, and the judge was going to have none of that at that point in time. The trial was merely about three months away, and his position was, let's just wait till after the trial. Well, after that, find, after Leah found out that they wanted to see Russ, she spent more time with them. The scene where they go to lunch is accurate. Um, and she convinced the daughters once again, I don't know how, that Russ was actually behind this. And they testified against him once again. So as I've talked to Russ about it, it is not only did he become very wealthy once they initiated contact, um, it was also fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice shame on me and russ simply wasn't going to have that and it, it's unfortunate and it's sad yeah lighter note i mean he looks just like josh duhamel doesn't he uh, russ i mean he this is <laughs> this is a spitting image right i mean he's and glenn fleshler plays you have you been able to talk to glenn or in any, any of these characters that are playing you guys i know i know joel did did you get a chance to talk to to your guy glenn who uh, seemingly uh is playing you I, i'm curious how do you feel like glenn is playing you <laughs> I think he's doing a really good job. Um, I did have uh, several extensive conversations with him for several hours on the phone. Um, naturally, because of COVID and things, we weren't able to meet in person. But um, he uh, asked me a lot of questions, and we had some really good conversations so he could get an idea of how to play my character properly. And I, I think he's doing a really good job of it. I think all of the actors are doing fine. And, and kudos to Renee Zellweger, I mean. Uh, I said early on when they announced uh, that they were going to make this thing, I was interviewed by uh, one of the local reporters and I said, well, you know, I find Renee Zellweger an attractive woman and Pam not. So they're going to have to ugly her up quite a bit. And uh, kudos to the makeup artist on that. One. This, uh, the dialect of Pam with the, the, the Slurpee and, and then uh, we got Josh playing the guitar, going to the, to the motel. Did you actually go to that? Uh, Green Gables Motel, Joel, is that that looked like a real stunning place. Russ will tell you the first time I met him, I brought my guitar in and I sang some Jim Croce and James Taylor to him, and we just had a little kumbaya moment. Um, when they sh it, when they showed Josh or myself for the first time, and my associate Nate handed me my guitar, walking into the Green Gables. First of all, there is no Green Gables that I'm aware of, anyway. And second of all, I've never brought my guitar with me to try a case to meet a client and uh, i think had they i think now they wish that they had more than the six episodes because of number one the popularity of the show and people's appetite for it and they wanted to expand on some of the stuff regarding russ they wanted to expand on the emotional arc that i went through and i know josh was a little frustrated about that they actually even had a scene of my band that they cut out um so I, I love it ending when, with people wanting more, but I wish there was more to be for people to have. Yeah. 
Russ, how uh, indebted are you to Joel? Uh, and then Joel, same thing. I mean, it, not to make this about you, Joel, but it does help when you have a, a wonderful um, story uh, book ending, which um, you have with Russ. Just kind of give me your guys, give me a little bro hug here via Zoom. But go ahead and tell me a little bit about each other, your relationship these days. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't be here without the help of Joel and uh, many others, but Joel was uh, instrumental and, and did such a fine job. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity to witness very many criminal cases, but he performed uh, exquisitely in both trials, even though in the first one, he kind of had his arm tied behind his back by the judge. Um, consequently, uh, Joel and I have built a wonderful friendship and I'm, I'm happy and proud to call Joel my friend in addition to being my attorney. Joel, thoughts on Russ? Can't stand him. <laughs> Russ, I, I second what he said. Uh, we're actually, uh, we're, we're, we're doing an engagement, but we're going to Las Vegas together in a few weeks to speak. Um, we'll have a great time. We've had many good times. It's a shame the way that we had to meet um, and what he had to go through. Um, but as far as the storybook ending, they do, they do allude to that at least, a bit in the series. I was determined to make this a storybook ending. What, what is unfortunate is that nobody listened to me. And had they at the start, Betsy's mother, I'm sorry, Pam's mother, had she been healthy enough, would still be alive today. And Louis Gumpenberger would certainly still be alive today. And none of us would be me. So as far as Russ and my relationship, and as far as Russ is concerned, it is a storybook ending. Um, my heart goes out to the girls, and you know Betsy's mother and her sisters. My heart goes out to Louis Gumpenberger's family. Um, that's all a shame, and it was all unnecessary. Uh, but Russ and I are very close, and I think he will. He and I, once I'm retired, no longer his attorney, we will still remain very close and good friends, and it's been great. Well, again, trying to retire so he can go travel with me, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're getting close, right? I mean, Joel, you were going to be an actor. I, I'm reading in your book. You were almost in White Palace, which is famously filmed here. Uh, but this might, maybe this is the, the way that it happens, where maybe you're not supposed to be an actor. There's supposed to be this gentleman who's a big star who looks just like you in the show. Um, that's how it was supposed to be. <laughs> you know, as they said at the end of Game of Thrones, you're, you are exactly where you are supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, it's a shame that they had to get a little nerdy guy to play me, but I understand. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm an old dog. I'm 60 years old. It's a little late for new tricks, but uh, I'm enjoying the things that are coming my way. Uh, there are speaking engagements. There's uh, some other things in the works that hopefully will develop uh, and take off from here. And this, this series that you're saying is not the end of the story. Uh, I will also tell, I don't know when this airs, but there is a Dateline airing this Friday night, and it will be jaw-dropping and eye-opening. On this? Yes. Oh, my goodness, what a plug. Um, well, I'll be watching. It will be the sixth one. <laughs> I was going to say, it feels like there's many more to come now from the things we've just kind of mentioned uh, about the history. Uh, Joel wrote the book, Bone Deep, Untangling the Betsy Faria Murders. Uh, murder case. Uh, I, I appreciate it. It's so good. You should read it if you like this story. I see a lot of people commenting that they bought it. I thank you, Joel. Russ, I'm going to give you the last word. And I wanted to say, I, what, what I'm, I, I told Joel on this first time we talked, it's like the older I get, the more I see these cases of people who 
who are wrongly convicted, it just makes you so angry. And you get so angry with the world and the system and, and the fact that it worked out for you and it worked out for Ryan Ferguson. Um, I want to give you the last word. And, and again, apologies. You know, again, it's only it's been 12 years, but I'm sure it, a day goes by where you miss your wife. Um, but just give me you get the last word. Uh, and again, I'm glad that uh, we got the chance to talk. Um, but it's good to hear this story out there. Tell us the last word here. I think for a good last word, if anybody ever finds themselves in a similar situation, uh, just persevere and, and stay patient and stay strong. And I hope that uh, some of the things that I'm doing are going to help others down the road. Um, that's that's my goal in life. Uh, if you want to donate to a good cause, donate to the Innocence Project. And uh, just keep yourself aware of things that are going on around you because it could happen to anybody. Yeah. Are you working? Are we doing the Tuesday game nights? Give us a little update. How, what are we doing here in 2022? Uh, well, we're all kind of busy right now in life, so the game nights aren't really happening. Uh, but uh, I do help a friend of mine run his motorcycle shop locally here in town. Uh, it's called All Lubed Up Cycles. We're in St. Charles. And I enjoy doing that. I kind of do uh, run the office there and turn a wrench once in a while. Um, but it's it's a fun job, and I enjoy it. Awesome. I'm also... Uh, engaged to a very beautiful woman by the name of carol mcafee and uh she's part of this story you're going to see her in tonight's episode I so, um, she's one of the people that uh, pam targeted yeah oh my goodness i mean i'm sorry to tell you how captivating the story is uh you have a crazy um woman on this side that is making it captivating um but she's getting her just due it seems like and it's going to live kind of a, a terrible life at the end here so um, I, I'm sorry it happened to you, but, um, again, this is a good chance for you to tell a story. It seems like, we, like I said, storybook ending. I appreciate you guys doing this again. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll catch up after Friday's Dateline. We may have some more things to talk about, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's been a lot of fun, Brad. Uh, anytime you want to do it, or I think I can speak for Russ and myself. We'd both be happy to come back on. Yes, thanks for the opportunity. All right, well, I thank Russ, and I thank Joel, and I thank you for watching. This is Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masses Restaurant St. Louis, five locations, stlmasses.com. Check them out on the web if you're driving through St. Louis, and we'll see you next time.